Hello and welcome to a Waypoint Church podcast. We hope you enjoy listening to it. We've got Richard today. Richard has been part of the church for uh, um, some time. <laughs> for some time. Too long, did somebody uh, No, say? not too long. Okay. That was in your imagination. Um, okay. But Richard's preached for the last year now, haven't you? Almost, pretty much. It seemed like preaching for a year for some of you. I'm sure it's usually short bursts of half an hour. So who's been to a wedding? Anybody been to a wedding recently? Been to a wedding? Oh, most people have probably been to a wedding oh, oh, quite, quite recently. Um, good. Well, today's Bible story happens to take place um, at a wedding, and we're going to be learning about what happened at the beginning of Jesus' ministry and how it was also an unexpected event. And the reading's going to be done, I'm going to do it like in like four short extracts. I, hopefully they'll be up on the screen for you to follow um, as well. Because it began, begins like this in John 2, 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Now in those days, weddings were a big deal that could actually last for days on end. There was a lot of eating and drinking going on, but the hosts came up with what was really going to be a terrible problem. They actually ran out of wine. Now, there were thirsty guests still having a blast with the party and nothing to give them. Now, you imagine going to a party where the food or the cake ran out before everyone was finished. Well, in Jesus' time, you couldn't just send out for another pizza and fill up in, in that way. But Mary, the mother of Jesus, approached him. Here's the next few verses. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, what do you think of the attitude of Mary here? Why do you think she told Jesus about the situation? What did she think that he could do? Well, here's one of the points, I think. Mary believed in Jesus. She knew who he was. Even though she had raised him and fed him and cuddled him in childhood, she knew what he would do. And she had faith that he could do anything. And even after Jesus seems to rebuke her, doesn't he? She still tells the servants to do what Jesus says. She had faith. Mary had not yet seen anything miraculous done by Jesus, but she believed it would happen. And remarkably, the servants seem to believe it too, because they follow the directions. Here's the next bit. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. So after blindly obeying the instructions, the servants, they risk being taken for fools. If you imagine that, you know, you're going that and take... Taken for fools, 
bringing water to the main host of things. And somehow in the trip between the jars and the banquet master, the water has become wine. Not just any wine, but the cream of the crop wine. And the host is quite impressed. And the servants are probably thankful as well as impressed. But, but what's the point? Why bother? Here's the last verse of this scripture reading. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. See, for one thing, Jesus was opening his public ministry here in order to prove who he was and who God was. Now, next slide's got four points. I'm going to go through them uh, one at a time. First of all, I'm going to make the point that God cares about all things. We see it in the miracle at the marriage of Cana. We see it in Waypoint Church. Most of the miracles in the Bible have to do with healing or curing physical ailments or even bringing people back to dead, uh, back from the dead to life. But this is just a little speed fermentation process. Jesus cared to provide for the guests and his mother just as much as he cared to heal sight or cure disease. And we also see, through, though, that faith can make what is impossible happen. This is not to say that God will grant everything we ask for just because we pretend to believe. What it does mean, though, is that when we approach God for anything at all, or any time we pray, we can know that he's there and that he's listening and he cares. Even if we don't see the signs and wonders, we can still have faith in his desire for our good. And his first miracle was a distinguished seal of approval on the marriage relationship. Now, it's probable that the marriage parties might be related to the mother of Jesus, which is why her and her son would have been in attendance, I guess. Marriage ceremonies in the East are conducted with feasting and rejoicing, and it would appear on this occasion that a considerable number of people graced the nuptial banquet, and it was a joyous occasion where Jesus and his mother were found. But, second point, something went wrong at the wedding. It's a common occurrence. Now, I heard about a wedding that was being videoed. They, they often video them, don't they? And someone decided it would be a great idea, whenever we sat down at the reception, let's watch the video. Okay, sounds okay if all you're thinking of is a camera. Now remember, a video camera has a microphone on it as well. So we have the camera microphone set up at the back of the church, with guests sat at the back, passing judgment. So they all sit down for the reception to watch the happy day, the arrival of the bride, the bridesmaids. Oh, it's going to be great, if it wasn't for the microphone at the back. So the guests are sitting there, and they're looking at it. Oh, yeah, like that. And suddenly they hear, she's wearing white. Whatever made him choose that tie? Well, I'm surprised they're still together. Oh, she's packed into that dress. She can hardly breathe. Oh, can you imagine? This actually happened. This actually happened. Not my wedding. It actually happened. But 
even <laughs> they'd only just invented television then, even when the best laid wedding plans, things can go wrong. You see, I had an aunt who wanted everything to be just right for their daughter's uh, wedding. She even got the wedding car driver to practice driving the car and turning around in the drive a year before the wedding. And he said, well, I'm going to have a new car by that. No, if Auntie Marion said do it, you did it. Yeah? Anybody else got an Auntie Marion? Sorry if her name is Marion. That was just the name of, name of mine. Most of the day went right for the wedding. When it eventually came, the car turned around in the drive. Everything was fine. But the photographs did reveal one slight hitch, and that was the top hats. Somehow, it started off all right, but by the time they came out of the church, my uncle Brian had a top hat sort of balanced on his bald head, a bit like a pimple. And his new son-in-law came out with a hat that came down over his eyebrows and pushed his ears out, rather like, this is going to date some of you, Freddie Parrotface Davis. Okay? Google it. Google it, all right? Yeah. <laughs> So things can go wrong at weddings. Now, it may be something insignificant. The, the, the serviettes aren't quite the right colour or they're slightly the wrong place. Maybe something no one ever notices, that, like one of the groomsmen's trousers got a hole in it. It might be something that everyone sees and notices, like hats balancing on tops of heads. And something went wrong at this wedding that Jesus attended. They ran out of wine, which would have been a big thing in that culture. Weddings were community events that lasted several days and involved countless details. Well, in our culture, they don't last several days, though actually recovering from them might. But there are countless details, aren't there? There's the clothes, the music, the readings, the flowers, the food, the seating plans. It goes on and on. And at the wedding in Cana, there would have been at least a year between the betrothal and the wedding. And the party was a sign of faith in God, and the connection of God between God's people. In our wedding ceremonies, there's a moment when the bride and groom and minister are set apart to be connected with God and receive his blessing on their marriage. And when there's a wedding day, people come together in celebration. People, they celebrate love. They celebrate community. They celebrate God. It was a big thing then, and it's still a big thing now. And I can see some people are here today re recalling all the months of planning and the preparation for a family wedding. And I can still hear those bank balances groaning from the effect of it. But in this party, in this small, poor village, they run out of wine. Why did they run out? Well, perhaps it was just one of those things that they weren't that very well planned. Or maybe somebody was guzzling too much. More likely, the couple was poor and they just didn't have enough. Unfortunately, to run out of wine was considered a sign of disrespect, of not trusting that you would be taken care of. You could be ostracized from the community, and I also read you could even be sued. Now, can you imagine starting off that way? You're embarrassed, you're broke, and now you're facing a lawsuit. <laughs> not a good start for anyone. I hope it wasn't that sort of start for any of you. And Mary remarks to her son Jesus that they've run out of wine. Now, we can never actually know how she said it. Okay, you've probably got your own interpretation of it. Did she actually, was it just a sort of, oh, they've run out of wine? Or was it a shriek, they've run out of wine? Or was it the know-all, they've run out of wine? I 
I think I know which of those three, if that's the only choices of Mary, I would probably go for. Was it a whisper? Was it a comment? And similarly, we can't actually hear the way Jesus responded. Did he sound harsh? What's that to you and me? Doesn't sound likely, does it? My hour has not yet come. Mary kind of pushes him to take care of it anyway. It's the time of their need. You do something. But it seems evident that the gracious servant like Jesus, in his reply to his mother, merely intended to check her anxiety. To urge her to wait for results with a sufficient reason, my hour has not yet come. And his mother therefore directed the servants to obey him, saying some of the wisest words ever uttered. Point three, she tells some of the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. See, Mary understood her son, his calling. She understood the will of God. See, mums have a way of watching out for us. I recall hearing about a mother and father escorting their son onto the top floor of a bus, and the mother told her husband, oh, let William sit by the window. And William said, don't fuss, mother. I'm 53 years old. I can choose my own seat. But once a mother, always a mother. All right, Sarah, get used to it. Mary pushed Jesus into his first miracle, maybe. I wonder if, now, and now this is a big if, I wonder if Jesus was rolling his eyes and sighing. If he did, if he did, then it just shows the humanness of the Son of God. Even he had his mother telling him what to do when he was 30 years old. Don't we all just love that? And she was right. Mums usually are. He did act, and it's that human moment that reminds us that Jesus identifies fully with us. There are going to be things in this world that God wants us to do that at first we're not going to want to do. We roll our eyes. Teenagers have perfected it. Absolutely to perfection. And from time to time, we're going to need a little push to get going into the direction we need to go. Now, have you ever had a Mary in your life, someone who has given you that little push, and you do it? They just say, oh, I think we should meet regularly to disciple one another. Yeah, okay, okay, yeah. Annalise, we think you should be going on a mission. And what did Annalise say? She went, okay. Is that what she said? Yeah, if you don't know Annalise, she just come back from mission. Um, Catherine, your sister, she would move, was told, you should move to Africa. And Catherine said, okay, okay. Jim, you're going to need to take on more of the leadership of the Waypoint Church. And Jim said, okay. <laughs> Jim said that, the church voted. The <laughs> no. Something made them go, okay, Verity needs more help with the uh, Waypoint kids. And we all say, okay, somebody, we just need a few more people with all things within the church, no pressure. I don't think it would have been accomplished, though. I would have accomplished much if there hadn't been someone in the background encouraging me to move forward. We all need a Mary. Someone who will encourage us. Someone who will even see where we need to be and maybe even get a little bit pushy with us. Do you have a Mary? Can you hear the Spirit of God telling you to do something for him? 
Maybe this is the time today to listen to your Mary instead of shutting her out. Or maybe you're supposed to be a Mary for someone else. Maybe there's someone who you sense has a call to be faithful in, to God in some area of their lives. And they just need that little push. Oh, try it. Get a little more assertive. The Spirit is always with you. They may roll their eyes and sigh, but they may also start down a path that leads them and you to a blessing. Don't be scared when someone starts a conversation with, I can see you doing that. Jesus told the stewards to fill the six jars of 20 to 30 gallons each with water. Now, we're told these jars are for the Jewish rites of purification. People would come to events ritualistically washed, signifying a cleansing for God. You get ritually pure, and then you can get into the party. He told the stewards to fill these jars, and this is the water that turned to wine. Jesus had said it's not what's on the outside that's impure, but it's what's on the inside. And now the wine, the blessing, gets on the inside and cleanses us. When we took communion earlier, we were doing similar, being cleansed and being blessed. And the wine from Jesus that cleanses us from the inside hits our taste buds every time we take communion. We're reminded of the cleansing, the healing, the blessing power of Jesus for our lives. Now, in the story, wine was important, not because of the alcohol content necessarily, but because it was a symbol of blessing. The God who provides everything in the world, even the abundance of the grapes that produce the wine, is looking out over us always. To say they had run out of wine was a symbol that they'd actually run out of blessing. It's at the moment, that moment that Jesus provides not just wine, but blessing. So Christ acted on this occasion as he did later when he fed the 5,000, turning a few loaves and fishes into sufficient for each to be filled. In Cana, the miracle was perhaps maybe more obvious because the servants knew the wine had all gone and that it was truly water that had been poured into these giant pots. Being filled to the brim with water, it would be plain there was no room for pouring in wine, thus making a mixture of the two. And the same servants drew the wine out as had poured the water in, so there was no collusion or substitution. And when they brought the jars to the master of the banquet, he was unaware of what had been going on, and then declares it as the best wine of all. He showed his surprise that the ordinary rule had been broken. It would normally have been the finest wine first at the festivities. Have you ever run out of wine? Maybe in a relationship that's important to you? Maybe in your walk with God? Have you run out of wine in your dreams? Feeling like, oh, now we're just going through the motions. Feeling you're like the one who is poor, the one who's embarrassed. Maybe you should follow Mary's advice. Do what Jesus tells you to do. Sometimes we get into trouble in areas of our lives. We run out of wine because We've not followed the way of Jesus in the world. We've not been obedient to his will, the gospel of sharing, the gospel of forgiving each other, the gospel of serving others. Study the scriptures, engage yourself in prayer, and find people who can push you into faithfulness. Maybe your finest wine is yet to happen because our God is always a God of surprises. 
God is the God of abundance. He'll give you what you need. He's not stingy with a little bit of blessing. Goodness, he pours out by the bucket full. He turned 180 gallons of water into wine. Not just a little eyedropper full, but an ever-flowing amount. This is the first miracle of his son. It's just a foretaste of everything that follows with Jesus. Jesus is the one who gives us blessings and has an abundance of love and grace for us to get us through no matter what. And the first miracle from God through Jesus shows the glory of a creative energy. The same power that acted on the original chaos and brought forth light and beauty and order was now put on the water and converted into delicious wine. It produced faith. Many of his disciples now believed in him. Do you believe God can do a new thing in your life? The church is the community through which God wants to do new things. But he needs us to respond and sometimes do things that maybe we don't really want to do. And the story reminds us that no matter how bad it is, Jesus turns water into wine. Mary said, they have no wine. And we hear that times will be tough with people, even family members, turning against those who speak of the Lord. But of course, God will not let any harm come to those who believe in him. There's nothing in his word that ever says that he will stop loving us. When we're talking to our friends and families and feel less than brave about sharing our faith, that's not God saying, keep quiet. That's another voice, an enemy's voice. God wants us to be brave and spread the word. He gave us the Holy Spirit to enable us to fulfill his son's last words to his disciples on earth. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In all our lives, we experience times when the wine has run out and the glass is empty. The party seems over and life seems dry, lacking vitality. Nothing but sadness and disappointment seems to be happening in our lives. We are feeling so low that we're crying, weeping. Now, weeping is serious crying. It's that heartfelt sobbing with a heaving of the chest, a cry of the soul from agony. Look at the faces of those caught up in a war, the outpouring of grief from those caught up in a mass shooting. Look at those who have had, we've had to watch, when we've had to watch a loved one die. God knows all about that. He even watched his beloved son die on a cross. As we say our farewells to those we love, that is weeping. But God sees us. God sees Ukraine. God sees the sad and the bereaved. God sees the future. God saw Jesus, his son, weeping as he approached Jerusalem. And in those sad, empty times of our lives, we feel that we will never experience happiness or peace again. And Mary's words might ring true at these times. Why has the wine of life, that excitement, run out? What relationships have run out? Which ways might we be feeling empty and useless? We've all got stories of when the wine ran out. It might be about the death of a loved one or the loss of a friendship or a marriage. It might be about the loneliness of a pandemic. 
It could be about the search for love or for acceptance, the search for meaning. Others will have regrets, guilt, disappointment to deal with. There could be stories of fear, fear of what might happen or fear of what is happening now. Failure, self-doubt, or just a longing for something that you just can't quite describe it. And they're not all stories from the past. For some people here, their wine has run out now. They're living those stories today. It may seem that life will, to them, life will never feel good again. And no matter what we seem to do, the wine of life is always giving out. No matter how many times we refill it, the glass remains empty. There's never enough wine. And as time goes on, we realize that we cannot replenish it by ourselves. Is that the embarrassment? Is that a disaster? Is that a failure? That must have been what the bride and groom in Cana were feeling. They have no wine, says Mary. Not a condemnation or a judgment, just a comment, a diagnosis. But this is not just about wine. It's about people. It's a statement about the human condition, about you and me, as much as it is about the wedding in Cana. It's about our inner self, not the outward appearance. Too often, people think they can cope by themselves. Anybody else here an only child? I was an only child. There was a reason for it. I was perfect. <laughs> My parents, who have long since passed, are the only other evidence that they had a slightly different version to why they didn't have another, another child. But as an only child, I don't need help assembling a flat pack. I really don't. It says clearly on the box, it takes two to lift it and three to assemble it. Only child, I can do it by myself. Ask for help, you are joking. I can do it. But it's an illusion that we can get by under our own efforts. That illusion is shattered the day the wine runs out and the jars of life stand empty and dry. We face a new truth. We were never intended to go through this life on just our own resources because we need Jesus. He's the true vintner. He's the chief steward of our lives. And surprisingly, the day the wine runs out is the day the miracle starts to happen for us. Accepting Jesus doesn't just refill our glasses, it transforms our lives, turning water into wine. It's the day of resurrection and a new life. Color returns into our lives. Life tastes good again. There's a full bouquet and we're active and alive once more. Our life is filled to the brim and we are intoxicated with the life of God giving us the blood of Christ and leaving us with the Holy Spirit. That's the miracle of Cana and it's never ceased happening. Every moment of every day of our existence, Jesus pours himself into those empty jars of our life. For he's the good wine. He's extravagant. He's abundant, endless. Every time we receive him, we are changed and transformed from water to wine. I can't tell you how it happens. I don't know how it happens because it's a miracle. But I know it happens and I really hope that you do too. Have you ever seen sorrow turned into joy? Despair into hope, fear into courage? Have you seen people do things that you thought were actually not possible? Broken marriages get refilled, become vibrant again? 
People who felt they would never taste love, find a partner. Those and a thousand other things like them reveal the miracle of Cana. And Christ is revealed and his glory becomes ours. They have no wine, Mary said, but they will. The miracle always begins when the wine runs out. God's grace and love comes to those whose hands are empty. There are times when we may sense a delay on Jesus' part to help with real life problems. It's if we need to tug Jesus on the sleeve and say, we've run out of money, hope, chances, whatever it is. Our relationship's in trouble. There are people without food. There are people without shelter. They're being denied human rights. What would Jesus do in a tight spot? He'd perform a miracle. But we can't do that. We aren't Jesus. We can only do what he tells us to do. Be faithful. Be hopeful. Be charitable. Seek justice and just do those small acts of kindness that are available to us every day. The servants did what they were told and amazing things began to happen. Miracles happen, the world changes. It may take a lot of trips to the well to get those jars full, but you plug away. The spirit within you urges you on. Martin Luther King Jr. did what he was told. He spoke the truth boldly and suddenly segregation was turned into equal rights. A miracle. And Jesus said, let anyone who is thirsty Come to me and drink. Whoever whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this he meant the spirit. Those who believed in him were later going to receive that spirit. And it's a real privilege for us to be carriers of the presence of God. Just stop and think about it. The God who made the universe the God who raised Jesus from the dead, the God who is love, he lives in every one of us. And the Bible encourages us to regularly ask God to fill us up with his Holy Spirit so that he can have a greater influence in our lives and in the lives of those around us. We need the Trinity. We need Father, we need Son, we need Holy Spirit acting as one to be complete. Because Jesus can turn weeping into laughter, our sorrow into unspeakable joy, our fears and failures into a witness of transforming power, our swords into pruning hooks, our cries of anguish into shouts of praise. I don't suppose anyone here has ever seen a lot of water turning into wine, but you may have seen booze turn into furniture. The alcoholic decides to rely on his higher power, give up the booze, and suddenly the money he was wasting turns into something useful, like furniture. The person who spends a lot of money, let's say smoking or doing drugs, gives it up, and the money goes into good causes. You and I might decide to forego a cup of coffee or a fast food meal and use that money in a different way to a favorite charity, to a church, to somebody in need that needs it perhaps more than we do. See, Jesus brings the good stuff. He made 180 gallons of wine for a party that had already gone through all the wine that had been there in the first place. 
Because Jesus knows how to celebrate the joy of life. He also knows how to live in an appropriate balance. Because what he's really after is to bring focus to us and bring us the good stuff. Not Merlot, mindfulness. Not Cabernet, kindness. Not Rosé, righteousness. The Jesus juice of justice. The Pinot Noir, oh, I could go on, couldn't I? Just quit feeling sorry for yourself. Get up, do what he told you to do, and watch what God can do when you fill up the jars. Just watch what he can do. As Mary said to the servants, as God says to us today in 2022, just do whatever he tells you to do. Amen.